Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hey everybody, I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. Welcome to a special edition of Ask the Minimalists Live. As you'll notice, I am solo today. Uh, Ryan and I just finished up recording a really great podcast about friends, which will be in your podcast feed soon. So if you don't already subscribe to our podcast, you can find that over at our website, theminimalists.com, or on iTunes, Google Play, or pretty much wherever you check out podcasts. It's also coming pretty soon to the NPR One app which you'll be able to find it over there. It's kind of like Pandora for podcasts in a way. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to answer some questions for you. Ryan couldn't attend this live session, so it'll just be me solo while he's off with a, a mentoring client. But I want to answer your questions. So go ahead and start asking questions. I have plenty of answers for you. And as you start typing those out, I'll just let you know that Ryan and I are coming to a bunch of cities this year. We're calling it the Less Is Now Tour. And what we're doing is we are presenting a talk, an in-depth talk about minimalism in a bunch of different cities. We've got a brand new presentation. We've got, we we're reworking some old material into some new material and a brand new presentation. But we're also bringing a live version of our podcast to a bunch of different cities. We already announced the first city. It's Boston on April 15th. That's at the Wilbur Theater. Tickets to that are selling out really quickly, but we're announcing a bunch of other cities in the coming weeks. You can find all the details to that at theminimalists.com slash tour. And while you're there, you can sign up for our email newsletter to be the first to be notified of new cities as we announce them. All right, let's answer some of your questions here on Instagram Live. All right, I see a bunch of, first off, so I see a bunch of questions here, a bunch of, hey, come to my city, come to my city. Thank you. Thank you for your support so much. Uh, I won't be answering any ge geographical questions at this point, uh, but we will be coming to a bunch of cities. Stay tuned for that. How can I live with a non-minimalist who likes to keep everything? Well, I, I think what you need to look at is what are your values? And instead of seeing where you are different, let's try to find out what your commonalities are first and ask yourself, do I have the same values as this person? And you very well might have the same values. And what happens is you just have different interests or different beliefs from that person. And then the question is, instead of trying to drag them to your side of the aisle, how can we try to A, meet in the middle, but B, how can I show them the benefits of living a more meaningful life? There are a few ways to do that. One is you can simply introduce the question, how might your life be better with less? And by asking that question, you can help them identify what the benefits of minimalism might be. Uh, for me, initially, that was regaining control of my finances because I had a massive amount of debt. In fact, if you go back and listen to the finances podcast that Ryan and I just recorded, it's up in uh, your podcast feed right now. That was my biggest benefit was regaining control of those finances because I made really good money in the corporate world, but spent even better money. And so I had to develop a plan and simplifying my life, including the external clutter was the first step. But then I uncovered all of these other benefits as well. I was able to regain control of my time. 
which was really nice because that time allowed me to start focusing on what I was passionate about or allowed me to contribute to my community in a different way. It allowed me to grow in ways I hadn't been growing before because I was less focused on the stuff that I surrounded myself with and I was able to start looking inward because I believe that our material possessions are a physical manifestation of what's going on inside us. Quite often that's internal clutter, emotional clutter, spiritual clutter, mental clutter, and even financial clutter, which stresses us out, right? We get really stressed about our money. But the weird thing is, once I simplified my life, I walked away from the corporate world eventually once I paid off my debts and I made appreciably less money, about 90% less money after walking away from the corporate world, but I was actually more financially secure because I made enough money. I made about $23,000 a year, which is not very much money, obviously. And I'm not against money. I, I think if you want to earn uh, a lot of money, then by all means, go out and do it. I, I'm, I'm not telling you what to do or what to make. I'm just letting you know that money doesn't help you buy better habits, right? Once we improve our habits, then the money just accentuates those habits. And now whenever I do have the opportunity to make more money, I'm able to do much better stuff without money. I'll give an example. So Ryan and I are headed to Boston in a few weeks or a couple months, I guess. And we took all the pre-sale tickets from that event and, and donated that money to build an orphanage on the U.S.-Mexico border. And that's because I have that habit of contribution built in now. And so finances was a big benefit, regaining control of my time, contributing. What's the benefit for you? And then what's the benefit for your partner or the people that you live with? Help them uncover those benefits. Instead of just simply showing them the actions, here's, here's what you're supposed to do. No, 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 no. Show them why they're supposed to do it. Everyone knows how to declutter their closet. Most people don't know why it's beneficial to embrace a more minimalist lifestyle. All right, what other questions do we have? What has been the most valuable thing learned on your minimalist path? You know, it was hard for me to really let go of my identity early on. One of the first things we ask someone when we meet someone new is what? What do you do? And I think it's one of life's most dangerous questions. I, I think we don't mean anything bad by it when we ask that question, but quite often what happens is we end up reciting the title that's on our business card. And the problem with me is I had, I had an impressive job title. I was the director of operations for 150 retail stores, which meant I was ostensibly successful. I had a good answer to your question, what do you do? But when you, when you expand out and look at that question more broadly, what do you learn? Well, that question really means, what do you do? I do all kinds of stuff. I go to concerts. I like lo long walks on the beach. I, I like spending time with my friends and family. I like a lot of alone time. I like reading. I do a lot. So what we're really asking is, where do you work? How much money do you uh, earn? So I can compare you to me on the, the socioeconomic ladder. And I think it's a pernicious question because of its implications, right? And so I found for me that flipping that question around, instead of saying, here's what I do to earn a paycheck, because by the way, there's nothing wrong with earning a paycheck, right? What I was able to do is say, I'm really passionate about writing. And, and even when I was in the corporate world, I told people, when they said, what do you do? I would, I would flip it around. I'd say, I'm really passionate about writing. And then I'd say, what are you passionate about? And it would totally change the direction of our question. And we start talking about things that we cared about, about creativity or about the, the things that we pursued as hobbies or things we were interested in doing in our futures. And it allowed us to talk about our more ideal selves instead of the, the self that we have uh, put ourselves into. Someone asked, well, was my partner, Rebecca? Uh, was she a minimalist before we met? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think maybe not as much of a minimalist, but I never 
went to her and said, hey, I need you to become more of a minimalist. What she saw when she met me were some of the benefits that I was experiencing in, in my own minimalist journey. And she said, wow, I could use some of those benefits as well. And so I think minimalism is not a destination, right? Minimalism is simply the tool that gets you to help helps you get where you want to go by clearing the path of the excess stuff. So it's not like you own your 1,000 things or your 100 things and now all of a sudden you are a minimalist. No, you have to keep going as your life changes because the things that add value to my life today may not add value tomorrow. And so I have to keep reevaluating my life. In fact, this month, uh, February 2017, Bex and I have been playing the 30-day minimalism game, which is actually 28 days this month because it's the, the shortest month of the year. Uh, we're playing the 30-day minimalism game over um it actually together as a family so it's me and bex and, and ella our three-year-old and what what we're learning from that is by playing that together is even though we've radically simplified our lives there are still things that we can start to question we can question the things in our life now and look at it in a new light so even as a minimalist or as a minimalist family we can continue to question the things that we have the things that added value in yesteryear are going to be different today. And same thing with Ella. I mean, she's three years old. The things that added value to her life at two, which was a third of her life ago, are going to be different now. And so we have to keep questioning those things in our life. And if they, if they aren't serving a purpose, if they aren't bringing us joy in some way, then we have to be willing to let go of those things so we can make room for either new things or more important, new experiences and, and make room for our values so that we can grow. How do you manage when you feel mentally tired or overwhelmed? Well, I'm a person who tends to get stressed out quite a bit. And so overwhelm certainly resonates with me. But for me, the overwhelm or anxiety or stress is, is really a warning sign that something is wrong. Usually that, that something means that I'm too busy. I've said yes to too many things. So how do I combat that, that? Well, two things. One is I will say no a lot more now. And it's not just saying no for the sake of saying no, but we all have the same 24 hours in a day. So we have to be really, really careful about what we're saying yes to. Because if I say yes to something that is less important, that means I, I probably have to say no to something that is more important to me. And I ran into this trap all the time throughout my 20s, whether it was in the corporate world and I was saying yes to every networking event, yes to every hangout or, or buddy or executive who, who asked me to spend some time with them, I forsook the most important things in my life, the people closest to me. I forsook my creativity. I was an aspiring writer for a very long time, but I didn't do much writing is all that really meant. I aspired every single day to write, but I didn't get much done because I was saying yes to the wrong thing. So now I say no a lot more, but I'm saying yes to the most important things when I'm doing that. And then second, I prepare a lot. As an inherently anxious person, you may want to go back and, and listen to our podcast we did recently about stress. It was a really good episode because Ryan and I are a lot different when it comes to stress. He thrives in a stressful environment. I remember back in the corporate world, toward the end of the month when, when the stress was really on, that's when he was sort of at his, his peak performance. He would perform really well under stress. For me, 
I really want to prepare. So I now these days, I go out of my way to prepare things way in advance. If we're going to record a podcast next week, I will I will start preparing a week in advance quite often. And Ryan will be preparing the morning of. He'll wake up two hours early and prepare that morning for the podcast we're going to record. And it puts him in a better state. And so understand more about yourself. Understand more about your personality. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Do you Are you a planner or, or do you thrive more in the moment. And, and these, these personality traits will help you identify what happens when you get anxious. For me, anxious is just a sign that something needs to change. Someone here says, in regards to people, how do you go about saying no? Well, simply, you can just say no. I mean, I, I think first off, but then for the people that really care about me and I care about them, they understand that I'm saying no because I've set an expectation in advance, right? They, they know me really well because I've done a good job of setting those expectations. So before they ask me for something that is binary, that has a yes or no answer, they, they know to come to me with that request knowing that I might likely say no because I've done a good enough job over the years of, of letting people know that, I am going to say yes to only the things that are most important to me. And so when I do say no, I can also go to them and say, the reason I'm saying no to this is blank. It's so I can say yes to one, two, and three. And that's why I'm unable to you know, do your podcast interview, or that's why I'm unable to travel, travel to your city to do a, a speaking gig or whatever. You know, Ryan and I, we do speaking gigs. We tend to do one a month. Uh, at different organizations and nonprofits. We're going out to UCLA in about a month or so. Uh, we're going to a, a business association next month. But when we say yes to those things, it means we're saying no to something else. And so when I say no to someone, I can say, I have to say no to this because I accept only one of these, or I have a certain limitation that I put on myself. I put up boundaries that are empowering, not disempowering boundaries, but boundaries that help guide me toward what my values are. Someone says, should I move to Missoula? You know, I, I can't really answer that for you. Uh, it's, it's really up, up to you to determine what are your values? Where do you want to be? The winters here are brutal. I, I moved here in, in the summertime initially, and the best summers you could ever hope for are in Montana. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's very low humidity, and the nature here is absolutely stunning. The winters are long and gray and cold, and it's really hard to travel out of here as well. I can tell you long term, I don't imagine myself continuing to be in, in Missoula in perpetuity. And, and when I graduate from Missoula, I'll find the place that is ideal for that time of my life. I spent the first 31 years of my life in Dayton, Ohio. And people often get surprised when I tell them that if it's not my favorite city, it's in my top two or three favorite cities. It's because it's an unpretentious town and uh, very, you know, sort of very blue collar and industrial and the people there, I, I love the people in Dayton, Ohio, and, and they make a really great community. But I also felt like at age 31, when I left there four years ago, it was time for me to graduate and experience something else in life. I don't want to be stuck in one place 
forever. And so I also value, one of my minor values is mobility. I certainly uh, value being mobile and being in the relationship I'm in now with Bex and Ella. Ella's biological father still lives in, in Missoula, Montana. And so because of that, I am, I'm, I'm somewhat tethered to, to the city right now, but I still have the opportunity to travel a lot and, and have the opportunity to experience different places. Realizing that on a long enough timeline, everything is temporary. Now, when I consider about moving to a different place, usually the question is like, how long do I want to be there? When I first came out to Montana, for example, Ryan and I came out here for four months and we didn't live in Missoula. We lived in a cabin on the side of a mountain near a little town called Phillipsburg. It was uh, one traffic light and 3,400 square miles. So really middle of nowhere. The closest town had like four bars and four churches and that was about it. And, And so I can tell you that our experience there allowed us to finish our second book. It was a book called Everything That Remains. It's still my favorite thing that we've ever created. And and that experience of being in a cabin in the middle of Montana winter when it was negative 28 degrees some days, I'd wake up and it was that cold. All you really had to do was was write. There there was nothing else that that I, I, I could do with my time. And it was a very productive time. We got the first draft of that book done, but then we found ourselves slowly gravitating toward this community uh, of Missoula, Montana. It's, it's a very big, small town, right? Or maybe a very small, big town. You know, it's uh, about 100,000 people in the metro area, 67,000 people in, in the city proper, but it feels much bigger. It's, it's very densely populated, so it's very walkable. Uh, especially in the summer. I walk to our office here all the time. And in the summer, it's you know, a few miles from one side to the other because we're surrounded by mountains. We're surrounded by beauty, but we also don't have access to a lot of the stuff that I'd like to have access to at this point. And so what are your needs? What are your values? What are your beliefs? And what is the community you want to surround yourself with? And then based on that, you can identify a really good place for you to go and realize that it's not always going to be the, the final destination for you. When Ryan and I moved to Missoula, finally, we, we, we realized there was a lot of culture per capita here, a, a lot of uh, different points of view, and, and a lot of people who thought differently from how we thought, and Ryan and I think differently from each other, by the way, and that allowed us to, to grow and expand in a different way, and, and eventually I will move on from this town, and, and we'll, we'll move on somewhere else, and I've, exp- I've been fortunate enough that we've done a lot of traveling, that we've, got to, we've gotten to experience a bunch of different different communities, a bunch of different cities. And I've been so surprised by some of the amazing communities that we've gone to, places like San Antonio, Texas, or St. Petersburg, Florida, or Portland, Maine, or I mean, even big cities like Los Angeles, California is one of my favorite cities in the world because there are some amazing people there. There are pockets of people. And, And I know places like Los Angeles, they get a reputation for being, you know, Hollywood or whatever. But when you have 20 million people in a place, you can use technology like the internet to to find these pockets of amazing people. And plus the weather in places like Southern California is absolutely amazing. And so that's another thing you have to ask. What do you value about the weather or the climate or the geography and, and you know, plan accordingly? Someone said, do you do laundry every day? No. Man, that would that would be so annoying, wouldn't it? I'm looking over at podcast Sean here. Um, no, I, I own enough clothes to get me by for at least a week, probably eight days or so. Go back and listen to our clothing episode, though. Ryan and I did a really long clothing episode about uh, sustainable clothing, but also the clothes that we wear personally and why we wear it and, and um, 
really how that aligns with our minimalist lifestyle as well. I think it was episode 58, something like that, maybe 56, somewhere in there. We, we did a whole episode on clothing though. It was like two hours long. So I won't, I won't rehash all of that right now. <laughs> oh, Colin Wright. Uh, Colin Wright on here said, take off your shirt. I will not. It is cold in Montana, so I will not be taking off my shirt, Colin. I'm sorry to disappoint you. By the way, uh, my friend Colin, he has been on fire with his podcast lately. Check it out if you haven't. Uh, his My favorite episode of his just uh, came out this week. It, it was called uh, Political Omnivores, and he has a very balanced, measured, and unique approach to looking at politics from a non-ideological perspective. And I really respect him, even though he and I differ politically. We, we lived together for, for seven months, so I know that um, we, we differ on some political aspects. We have similar thought processes about a lot of things. So check out his podcast. It's called Let's Know Things, and he explores a, a bunch of different topics. He also runs a blog called Exile Lifestyle. That uh, He was actually the reason that I became a minimalist. So if you want some inspiration, he's, he's a good guy to follow. At Colin is my name on Instagram, by the way. Do you see a link between minimalism and spirituality? I think you'd have to define what spirituality means. And I think that word carries a lot of baggage now. And so I, I have friends who are spiritual, like Sam Harris, who is a, a really well-known atheist. But he wrote a book called uh, Waking Up, A Guide to Spirituality Without Religion. And then I have other friends who are pastors or former pastors like Rob Bell, and they identify spirituality as something a little bit different. And I think there's a lot of overlap between that. And so I think no matter what your spiritual beliefs are or your religious beliefs or lack of religious beliefs, I think minimalism can play a part because it allows you to identify and then focus on what is important to you in terms of being more intentional with your life and, and aligning your short-term actions with whatever your long-term values might be. And that, that was what was actually so appealing to me when I first discovered minimalism. I saw Colin Wright and everything he owns fits into his backpack because he travels to a new country every four months or so. And so he can't own a kitchen table because that's really hard to get into the overhead bin of an airplane. But then I saw other minimalists like Eva and Leo Babalta and their six kids. They are a whole minimalist family. You might remember Leo from our documentary, uh, which is called Minimalism. And uh, then other minimalists like Courtney Carver and her husband in, in Salt Lake City or Tammy Strobel and then more and more minimalists, all these different flavors of minimalism. So no matter where you are on, on the political spectrum, the socioeconomic spectrum, the, the, so w whether you are in this country or you're in a third world country, quite often what I've learned is that we can all benefit from being more deliberate with our actions, with our, our beliefs, and by questioning what really adds value to our lives. That starts with the stuff for me, but then it goes way beyond the stuff. I think getting rid of the clutter is, is not the end result. It is merely the first step because then we're able to go down that path a bit farther toward, toward what we value. What are tips for dealing with people in your life who don't get minimalism? I wouldn't try to have them get minimalism. I don't think that should be the goal. I think the, the benefits should be the goal. I never jumped up and said, look at me, I'm becoming a minimalist and you need to as well. I didn't go to my best friend, Ryan. I didn't go to people at work, but in time, uh, it took me about eight months, but I got rid of about 90% of my possessions in eight months. 
Now, that might, might sound really radical at first, but I would argue that it's practical. The average American household has 300,000 items in it, according to the LA Times. Now, of those 300,000 items, if I got rid of 90%, what does that mean? How many items do I have left? I don't know. I don't actually count my stuff, but did I have 30,000 items left? 10,000? I, I don't know. I don't count my things like that. But what I can tell you is that by getting that stuff out of the way, what I was able to do is is change who I was inside. And people at work started saying things like, you know what, you seem so much calmer these days. You seem less stressed or, or what's going on with you? You, you seem so much nicer. And, and that opened up the door for me to start explaining minimalism as opposed to me going to them and saying, hey, guess what? I'm getting rid of all of my stuff. Because if I were to say that, what would they say? Oh, you're suicidal. That's the telltale sign of, of suicide is someone's getting rid of their stuff. Or maybe it's the telltale sign that I'm actually prioritizing my life for the first time in my life. Someone said, I want to be a minimalist, but darn it, I just bought a new rug today. Here's what I would say. Does that rug add value to your life? And for those of you playing the, the minimalist drinking game, every time I say add value, you're supposed to take a shot or throw something out. Hopefully, or not throw something out, get rid of something, hopefully in a responsible way. Now, here's the thing. You bought a new rug. Does it add value? Does it serve a purpose or does it bring you joy? I have a rug. It's in Ella's room, but I own a rug and I am a minimalist. It's okay that you own a rug. If that rug serves a purpose or brings you joy, great. Have at it. This person here says, I have debt. Should we pay ourselves first? Well, I won't, I won't beat you over the head with all of my financial advice. Go back to our finances podcast. It was published very recently. And then also check out an essay that I wrote with Ryan called Financial Freedom, Five Difficult Steps to Getting Out of Debt. I think it's very important to get out of debt before you start investing in your future. Although I like to build that habit of investing for the future. So what I encourage people who are in debt to do is start saving $20 a month just so you start flexing that muscle. It's not going to yield an actual result for you other than you're going to build that muscle that in time, once you're out of debt, you can start contributing a lot more to your retirement. You can find that essay, by the way, at theminimalists.com slash freedom. What do you think about Dave Ramsey? I think Dave Ramsey is great. I think he's an inspiration. In fact, I used much of his method, his book, The Total Money Makeover, I used when I was getting out of debt myself. I had six figures worth of debt, and I used his envelope system and his baby step system to help me get out of debt. I want to put all my video games in the microwave. Is this okay? Yeah, I don't think they'll taste very good heated up, honestly. Someone says, unfortunately, your movie is not available on German Netflix. Sorry about that. It is available worldwide on Vimeo, so you can check it out over on Vimeo. Just go to minimalismfilm.com. We are working with Netflix to try to have an online release worldwide as opposed to, or Netflix release worldwide as opposed to just the seven or eight countries that it's in right now. So stay tuned to that if you want to watch it in the meantime. By the way, the Vimeo release is the only place where you can get the six hours of bonus interviews. So obviously making a documentary, we spent three years making it. We had thousands of hours of footage, but we had plenty of interviews that we felt really good about. They just couldn't make it into the film or some of the interviews that were in the film. We have extended versions of those interviews over at the Vimeo release. So minimalismfilm.com if you're interested in checking that out. Someone here says, next tour dates. Stay tuned, theminimalists.com slash tour. Make sure you're on our newsletter to be the first to hear about new events. 
What are your thoughts on nutrition? I have a fairly simple diet. You can check out my diet over at theminimalists.com slash diet. I think health is the most underrated thing that we can change in our lives. So I used to weigh 80 pounds more than I weigh now, but I wasn't just fat. Like I felt like crap. And that was really a problem because it bled over into every other area of my life, whether it was my work or my relationships or my creativity, just all of my life felt bloated because I was bloated. And, and that was A, because I didn't exercise, but, but more important, I just didn't eat very well. I didn't understand nutrition. And then third, and just as important, is sleep. I really value my sleep. Now, I'm an early riser, which means I usually go to bed really early. Come 6 p.m., I'm ready for bed. Uh, by 8 p.m., I'm generally going to bed uh, most nights. And I like to get up really early, 4 or 5 a.m., but not with an alarm clock. I, I like to get up when, when my body tells me to get up. I find that's the most productive time of day for me. I'll get up and I'll start writing really early. I'll exercise in the morning. I'll read in the morning. And uh, I'll do my, my physical therapy because I have a really bad back that I've been healing. And, and that time in the morning is by far my most productive time of the day, usually before, before anyone else wakes up, right? It, it gives me the opportunity to, to sort of be productive before the rest of the world is, is even awake. What is your favorite recipe from minimalwellness.com? So my partner, Rebecca Bex, she has a great website with a blog and a bunch of free recipes. In fact, uh, she's doing, like I said, she, she, her and I are doing the 30-day the minimalism game together. So at Minimal Wellness on Instagram, for those of you who are interested in following along with that 30-day minimalism game. What's my favorite recipe on minimalwellness.com? It is probably anything that she does with halibut. She is a Mozart of, of cooking in general, but especially with halibut. Every, everything that she makes that involves halibut, I absolutely love. But all the recipes on there are really healthy, nutritious, and uh, I think they're all gluten-free as well, even though she isn't completely gluten-free. I am, but uh, all her recipes are, and they're really simple too and relatively easy to make. All right, here's a good question to end it on here. Sarah asks... How do you retrain a young child's materialistic mindset when your family is becoming more minimalist? Well, first thing you need to realize is your kids are watching you and they're mimicking and mirroring what you do. So what they do is actually, I know this is hard to believe for most of us because we're afraid to turn the mirror on ourselves, but what they do is mimetic of what you do or have done in the past. They've learned that from you or they've learned it from other people, but generally they learn from the, the adults that they are closest to. And so often Ella is just mimicking my behavior, good or bad. Now, here's the thing. She, we have a donation box in the house and it's really helped out because she understands the value of contribution. By letting go of something, someone else is going to be able to start using that thing, getting value from that thing. Check out uh, At Minimal Wellness's feed this month. You'll see some of the stuff that Ella has personally donated this month as part of our, our 30 day minimalism game, you can check out the things she's willing to let go of and sometimes not so willing to let go of. And uh, we have to have discussions about it then. But at the end of the day, I think that we are the models for them. And so instead of simply mandating, sometimes there's room for that. And we need to mandate to our kids, obviously, but usually they're going to learn best if we're modeling that behavior. 
And the cool thing about that is it's also true for our friends, our family, our coworkers, our acquaintances, and everyone else in our life. Let's not drag them with us kicking and screaming toward minimalism. Let's walk in that direction, show them the benefits, and hope they follow us. I hope to see you all on the road this year. Ryan and I are hitting a bunch of cities. Make sure you check out the Less Is Now tour. Sign up for our email newsletter over at theminimalists.com slash tour. We just announced the Boston date. That's getting ready to sell out. Many more cities coming in the coming weeks. Thanks for spending this time with me today. If you leave here with just one message, I hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. I'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for And you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it So tear your eyes away Or tear